Well, good morning. My name is C.T. Eldridge, and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside Romeo, and it's my pleasure to share with you this morning from God's Word. Life Impact Sunday. This is a day that we have intentionally set aside because we want to remember God's call on our life to live for Him. We want to reject status quo churchianity. We want to avoid the trap of Sunday morning religion while the rest of our week is disengaged from God's will on our lives. We want to avoid being Christian in name only. And this morning we have a marvelous passage of scripture to lead us through Life Impact Sunday. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, Matthew chapter 28, the first book in the New Testament, is Matthew's gospel, right after Malachi, right before Luke, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll be in the last chapter, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is an appropriate passage, too, because we just celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, Jesus' resurrection, and this scene in Matthew 28 is not long after Jesus' resurrection. It's one of his resurrection appearances to his disciples. And so we'll hear these most important words that Jesus has to speak with his followers. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, the Holy Spirit writes, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, each night, our two young boys, William and Charlie, go to sleep to the soothing sound of ocean waves. Of course, we don't live anywhere near a beach, but a few years ago, when Meg and I became parents we discovered the technological masterpiece that is sound machines. These brilliant inventions are for parents who will do anything and pay any price to get their children to go to sleep. And so each night, the boys are lulled to sleep by the dreamy sound of ocean waves. But this is ironic because... Ocean waves, as soothing as they may sound, ocean waves can be some of the most powerful and impactful forces of nature. Apparently, it's something to do with the wind, the way it blows over the water, but the ocean water swells and swells, gathering momentum, billowing into this mass of water, and then this surge reaches its highest point what oceanographers call the wave's crest. This is the point right before the wave begins to crash forward 
with all of its impact. And the rush of water slams into whatever surfer or shoreline lies in its way. Well, in many ways, our scripture today is the crash point of a wave that's been building and building throughout Matthew's gospel. Matthew builds the intensity of this moment so that when Jesus speaks these words in verses 18 through 20, he intends them to hit his readers at full force. So let's look at a few of these ways that Matthew builds momentum. First, is Jesus' insistence for his disciples to go to Galilee. A few chapters earlier, chapter 26, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They're sharing the Passover meal, what we now call communion. And Jesus tells them, I'm about to be arrested. You are going to betray me, and then I'll be crucified. And then Jesus says this, chapter 26, verse 32. But after I am raised up from being crucified, I'll go before you to Galilee. Then fast forward to the beginning of chapter 28. Jesus has been executed and buried by this point, And some of the women disciples visit his grave. They're greeted, amazingly, by angels who tell them in 28, 6, and 7, Jesus is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. The women leave the graveside. And they're greeted by Jesus himself, the risen Lord. Jesus says to the women, chapter 28, verse 10. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Again and again, I'm going to Galilee. Jesus is in Galilee. Go to Galilee. So Matthew is building tension in this way. What's in Galilee? What has he got to tell us in Galilee? A second way we see Matthew swelling momentum towards Jesus' words in verses 18 through 20. Their location on a mountain. Matthew lets us know in 28 verse 16 that they're in Galilee and they're on a mountain. And here's the deal. Big things happen on mountains. For instance, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we have the longest uninterrupted discourse from Jesus. These three epic chapters, 107 total verses are well known as the Sermon on the Mount. That's where Matthew tells us this sermon took place. Another example, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and there occurs on top of a high mountain what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. On top of this high mountain, Matthew tells us that Jesus' face suddenly shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And all of a sudden, two prominent figures from the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses, appear out of nowhere and they're talking to Jesus. Peter, James, and John are so startled that they fall on their faces in terror. Again, mountaintop moments are full of magnitude. And that's where we are today in chapter 28, 16 through 20. 
on top of a mountain. But we're not finished. Two more examples of this, how Matthew gathers momentum. Think of it. These are the last words of Jesus that Matthew records. There's something about last words, isn't there? My first two years out of university, I had the opportunity to work in a retirement community. And I worked in the part of the community called the Skilled Nursing Facility. And I loved working there. The residents and the nurses that I got to work with were amazing people. But it was also hard to work there. Because about every two or three weeks, we would have a resident come to the end and die. And oftentimes, the resident's family would have a chance to gather around in the final days or hours of their loved one's life. And just walking past the room during these times, seeing the family in there, you could just feel the weightiness of that moment for them. The family members leaning in, their ears peaked, trying to get one last experience, one more word before their loved one's gone. Because there's something powerful about last words. And Matthew builds momentum towards today's verses by making these the last words of Jesus before his gospel ends. He's saying to us, listen up, lean in. Finally, Jesus himself gives one more boost to the gathering momentum. He starts his exhortation this way. In verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a radical claim. There is no one above him. There is no place outside of his domain. And it's in light of this authority that Jesus now delivers this most pressing command for his followers. So think of it, they're in Galilee where time and again Jesus had urged them to go after he was raised. They're on top of a mountain, this setting of supreme significance. These are Jesus' last words, so their attention is locked in. And these are Jesus' authoritative words, uttered with universal command. Friends, we have reached the crest of the wave here at the end of verse 18. And then it blasts forward. Go, make disciples of all nations. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. How will your life count for Jesus' disciple-making mission? What impact upon the nations and the neighborhood will your life make? Well, we'll work through Jesus' words here and try to give you a few steps for how you can get engaged in the mission of God and impact the world. First step, belong through baptism. We begin through belonging. We can't make disciples of Jesus unless we are disciples of Jesus. And Jesus speaks to this here. He talks about the discipleship process requiring baptism. Verse 19, go and make disciples. How do you make disciples? 
by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's where it begins. Now, there are a lot of debates about baptism, but no one, Catholics, Lutherans, Baptists, no one disagrees that baptism is the initiatory ritual for Christian discipleship. Baptism is where we begin belonging. And Jesus describes being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. What does this mean, being baptized in the name of? Well, one scholar explains that into the name of is used in the sense of into fellowship with, expressing a new relationship. And again, I've read a lot about baptism. I don't think there's a lot of debate on this point. Baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and it signifies a new relationship has begun with God. In other words, the baptized one belongs to God. I want to look at one more passage about the meaning of baptism. It's in Romans chapter 6, and it's just one verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, he's speaking to Christians. He says, We were buried with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul explains that we're not merely brought into a relationship with God, but there's a specific union we have with Jesus. And even more specific about Jesus, he says we're united with him in his death and resurrection. And baptism signifies this great reality. We were buried with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. So friends, baptism is a picture of the gospel, the good news. Baptism is a death and resurrection. The gospel is that Jesus lived, died, and rose so that all who trust in him could likewise be raised to new life. So those who are being baptized are saying, I receive that gospel. I'm identifying myself with the death and resurrection of Jesus. His death is what I deserved. His new life is the greatest gift I could ever think of. So is that your testimony? Do you long for a relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit? Do you count yourself united with Jesus in his death and resurrection? If so, I encourage you, submit to baptism. Put a stake in the ground and go public with your story of redemption. Belong through baptism. And so let's get real practical. June 18th, August 16th, it's going to be a happy day. It's Baptism Sunday at Woodside Romeo. And if you're interested in signing up for baptism or have more questions about baptism, as Rick said earlier, our next Belong class is Sunday, May 7th at 1230. Food, leaders in the church, an opportunity to ask questions and learn. But be certain of this. Jesus' desire for you is to belong to him, to belong to his body, the church. And you get that started through baptism. That's our first step in making an impact for Jesus. 
Second, grow in observing Jesus' commands. Verse 19, Jesus continues this pattern for how to make disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's the problem. There are many people who've gone through with baptism and consider themselves Christians. But basically, it's all a formality. Though they've been baptized, though they call themselves Christians, their lives don't reflect that they've been buried with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. This great reality is just sort of meh for their Monday through Saturday. The Apostle John referred to this situation in one of his letters. This is the Apostle of Love writing these hard words. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he writes, If we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. And Jesus here too says that being a Christian is not merely a matter of initiation through baptism, but there's a continuation of God's work in our lives as we grow in obedience to all that he taught. Well, I want to press this one specific aspect as to how we grow in obeying Jesus. It's community. Long-term, personal relationships. An example of this from the book of Acts, growth through engagement in community. The book of Acts begins in chapter 2 with the apostle Peter preaching the gospel at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls, Peter preaches the good news, and here's what happens afterwards. Acts 2, 41 through 47. Those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, or brotherhood. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These believers devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the brotherhood. Luke says that they were in one another's homes. They ate meals together. They shared their resources with one another. So think about this. If we're to grow in community, like these believers did, then we will have to be engaged beyond this hour of the week on Sunday. To share a meal together in your homes, you must go home and invite a brother with you, or you must accept the invitation to another brother's house. And it's the same with sharing resources. 
if the extent of my relationship with you is one hour on a Sunday morning, then I'm not likely to be aware of the needs you have and how I could help you solve them. The community of these Christians in Acts 2 is personal. It's intimate. And it's this communal context in which growth happens. So, what are you doing after the service? Are you going to bolt for the doors and dash to your cars and get out of this place as fast as possible? If so, that's okay. Maybe you've got a flight to catch, or your house is on fire, or you've got something, you've just got to go. That's fine. But if you're able, linger around a little bit. Meet someone you don't know. Listen to their stories. Engage in community. Also, what are you doing on Tuesday evenings? Because I've got this awesome neighborhood group, we call them, or community group that meets every other Tuesday night. And we've got amazing food, gracious people, and a lot of crazy kids. Sound machine doesn't work during neighborhood group. We've been to neighborhood group only four times since my family moved here back in March. But community is happening. Relationships are building. It's the craziest thing. Ross Shainer from my neighborhood group called me on my way to work several mornings ago, and he asked me how I was doing. And I got to share some of my heart with him, and he got to speak words of wisdom and grace into my life. What a gift. John Posnanski from my neighborhood group, after I preached a few weeks back, I'm sure you guys remember that, he texted me after the service and just briefly shared how he was impacted by that service. What an encouragement. When I've needed a new lawnmower, needed to find a plumber, work on our well water, get my U-Haul unloaded, neighborhood group. Meg and I have had a wild stretch since we've moved here. It's a new region for us, a new part of the country we're living in. Of course, I'm starting a new job. And it's really a new industry for me. I've never worked in church ministry. It's a new schedule, new rhythm, new pace of life. We've also had new relationships. We left gobs of great people back in Louisville. So now we're building relationships from the ground up. New homeowners. Meg and I have never owned a home before. So managing finances and facilities is a unique challenge for us. That said, I'm so grateful to be here with you all. But this has been a tough transition. Many of you guys have been through these seasons of change. And you know who's helped us bear these burdens. Our community group, our neighborhood group. And I've only scratched the surface as to what a neighborhood group can be for you and me. So can you tell where I'm going with this? That's the second time I've forgotten this thing. But we have got many neighborhood groups that meet throughout the week and throughout the month, this card is in your bulletin. It gives you an opportunity to share your contact information with us. And underneath this grow section is a couple of opportunities to indicate how you might want to connect in a neighborhood group. 
But however you get it done, it's time to get into one another's lives, to grow in obeying Jesus through real community, through long-term personal relationships. Step one, belong through baptism. Step two, grow in obeying Jesus' commands. Step three, reach the world by making disciples. The way disciples are made is through belonging and growing, as we've covered. But once disciples are made, it's then their turn to take up the mantle. The disciple-making process is not complete until the discipled becomes the disciple-maker. Listen to the way Paul instructed Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will, able to be, who will be able to teach others also. So you see how Paul has taken up this charge to make disciple-making disciples. He's instructed Timothy in God's truth. Now he says, take what you've received from me and instruct others who can instruct others, and on and on. And now we have nearly a 2,000-year legacy of disciples being made around the world in Jesus' name. This gathering this morning is testament to the efforts of a handful of Palestinian Jews two millennia ago who shared Jesus, helped other people follow Jesus, and they turned the world upside down. Don't you want to be a part of something this big? Something bigger than yourself. Well, now here's the part of the sermon where I tell you about how you can practically engage in reaching the world through Woodside. I can tell you about Flip Camp June 19th through 22nd. We not only need kids to attend, but volunteers to lead it. I could tell you about short-term mission trips. There's one in India this fall. And there's also the numerous ways that we're involved in ending sex trafficking in this city and around the world. But... Since I'm leading our student ministries, Steve gave me the stage on Life Impact Sunday, I'm going to talk about how you can be involved in student ministries, because I am shameless, and I have a job to do. We need committed, loving volunteer leaders. We need you who love Jesus and want to help students follow Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for a while and you're like, my heart has been shaped through some things and my mind has been sharpened by God's truth, it's time for me to give back and to share some of these things, then let's talk. Let's start a conversation. I'd love to have it with you about whether you'd be a good fit for student ministry. Let's reach our students and let's reach these schools around here through our students and change this community. But ultimately, it doesn't matter where you serve or how you reach out, but that you're doing it at all. We want to give you opportunity. We want to help equip you. But let's get in the game.
Christianity is not a spectator sport. Reach the world by making disciples. Jesus' words in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 are often called the Great Commission. And that adjective great is appropriate. This tidal wave builds and builds momentum until it floods forth in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all the nations. How will your life count for Jesus' disciple-making mission? What impact upon the nation and the neighborhood will your life make? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you and we are grateful for the captain of our faith, for the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. God, we cling to this promise that he finished this saying with, that he is with us always to the end of the age. God, I pray for wherever all of us are on this journey of following Jesus and of helping other people follow Jesus, that we would be encouraged to know that you, through your Spirit, are with us. And Father, I pray that you would stir in us fresh desires to make disciples for Jesus. We want our lives to count. We want to make an impact on this community. We want to see lives changed by the truth of the gospel. We want to see families healed and restored. We want to see people making much of Jesus in this worship center with us. God, be glorified. Father, we pray unto the ends of the earth the gospel would reach and your spirit would move. Use our meager efforts, God. We are nothing apart from Jesus. We cling to him. We hope in him. Encourage us now in this great commission you've called us to. And we pray in Jesus' name.